you know, when we talk about this new thing for Black trans women, this is actually not new. We live in this state of emergency all the time. You don't really hear people name Black women names until there's some other struggle of a Black cis heterosexual man. Because when you look at Breonna Taylor, there's little to no conversation around Breonna Taylor who was at home sleep. everyone welcome back to veer queer um whether you're a first-time listener welcome if you're a day one we appreciate you and today's episode is going to reflect on what's going on right now like we're experiencing a global pandemic and on top of that like i mean this isn't new news that black people are still being killed um every fucking day by the police and so um so our episode is going to dive a little bit into that um but yeah Yeah. my yeah so what's what's Um, going on yeah i guess since you know everything that's happening immediately right now we want to talk about the Black Lives Matter movement and what's happening within that. And then especially when we talk about the Black Lives Matter movement, we want to talk about bland. um, We want to talk about black trans lives um, within the Black Lives Matter movement. So uh, we actually have Vernus with us or I guess leading the conversation today um, and our guest speaker, I've been excited to have on, which I'm super excited. Um, she is from Marsha's plate. You've probably heard of her before. Diamond Styles. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's one of the hosts of Marsha plate along with two other people. Um, yeah. And so that's the conversation we have. We have a black trans woman talking um, specifically about what's happening in the Black Lives Matter movement. So we should mm-hmm. take it away to that and check it out. So welcome everybody to another episode of Dear Queer. I have the infamous Diamond Styles, one of the co-hosts of Marsha Place and the executive director of Black Trans Women Inc. in Dallas, Texas. Okay. So how are you doing today, Miss Diamond Styles? I am really good. It's really amazing to see you again. I know we met at um, a panel that I was doing and you had, and we met at um, Gender Infinity. And you had such a great spirit, and um, I love seeing you again. But I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing great. You know, as I like to tell my best friend, it's always better to be seen instead of viewed. So I'm so (laughs) glad that we can see each other again. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and I'm also glad that we're able to have such amazing spirits and, you know, laugh and have such great energy doing such a really hard time, you know, dealing yeah, with... Yeah, unprecedented. Yeah, this, you know, hey, where did this come from? But, you know, dealing with COVID-19, um, the state of emergency as it is to be just a Black person in America, which we already been knowing that. Um, and not only that, the intersectionality of being trans or non-binary or gender conforming, but as it specifically relates to being a Black trans woman, um, how are you feeling? What what how how are you feeling about that right now? It's it's quite um I don't want to I don't know if strange is the right right word, but I, just to give you some context, um maybe like a year, a year and a half ago, we did um I did an event with um Queen Culture that was called The State of Emergency violence against trans women and so if that gives you a little bit of context of this is kind of a trans woman's normal this is kind of you know we're always scared of some kind of disease uh hiv is always thrown in our face and uh la 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 so it's always some disease looming around waiting to get us (laughs) it's always um some killer um, whether it be a cop or a black man or a, a dude who who's mad about our tea, it's always a killer 
creeping around, looming, just waiting. You don't know how you're gonna, how it's gonna happen, but ooh, here you go. You gotta worry about it. Somebody gonna kill you. So when we talk about, um, you know, when we talk about, you know, this new thing for Black trans women, this is actually not new. We live in this state of emergency all the time. We are always on our guard. We are always protecting ourselves from the systems that are designed to murder us and kill us, whether it be um, through healthcare, where I can't even go to get a breast exam <laughs> without it being some, well, when was your last period? Or, or without it being, um, well, if, you're, if your birth name is this and this is what's on your ID, I, I'm going to call you what's on your ID. And then you're trying to act like that that's legal or this is how I'm supposed to do it. And, you know, this the harm that comes along with the cultural aspect of being trans, it's always something. So it's always a state of emergency and isolation. And, like, think about it. When we think about um, COVID making us stay in the house, if I, if I wasn't, I'm a confident trans woman. <laughs> I'm a confident trans woman, so I do go out and I and I have a, a social life. But there, that is that comes with a privilege that I have, and so I know that there are trans women who live a way where they can't come out the door without somebody pointing them, saying, "That's a man." That's a so they they stay in the house so they don't have to do with that kind of violence and that or somebody trying to throw bottles at them and bricks at them, somebody trying to fight them, getting on the bus going to work, and somebody is you sit next to somebody. Totally do, just doing what normal people do, sitting next to somebody. Oh, don't be, I don't want your faggot ass sitting next to me on the city bus. And so they go through a time when they want to, they're isolated and stayed in the house for weeks on end. While you sitting here complaining about being <laughs> on quarantine, there's some trans people that live their life in isolation because of the amount of violence and incidents of violence that they go through on a day-to-day -day basis. And so... You know, this is our life. So, you know, it's a, I'm glad that people are seeing um, what it's like <laughs> to live in a state of emergency. And I think that's a very valid point. Earlier this year, we did a survey because all of the grant money we had to apply for as the Mahogany Project wanted to know, well, what are you doing now to address COVID-19? And we found out, which we already knew this too, being transgender, non-binary, in COVID-19, you still needed the same thing. There wasn't a shift in recent. <laughs> you still needed gender market changes. I still needed food. I still needed adequate health care. I still needed a PCP. Hell, this probably made it harder to get one. I still, now I may have to do without hormones because if I was already about to run out, it's probably going to be harder to get one now or to get labs done or things like that because I can't go to the hospital because this is not an emergency. Yeah. Uh, I can't get adequate treatment. And so it, it wasn't a, something new that we needed to do because this was kind of the everyday norm that we knew that already exists. Exactly. And so I totally agree with you when you say that. But I think at now it's been all of these people at home in relation to us being at home, plus what's been going on. And they've been having to watch it via TV and hear it via, um, you know, news or radio outlets or um, read different articles. You think more people are, are engaging because of COVID-19 and they have nothing else to do? Or do you think people really have a really concern, a genuine concern right now? Concern for us? Yeah. No. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> if you want me to be real, no. I think the people who are concerned with trans people were concerned with trans people before COVID. The people who are assisting me in getting funds to help trans people are the same people who were assisting me before. It's no different. Now, just some nuance with that conversation. There is an uptick because of this Black Lives Matter movement, because of George Floyd, because things are happening in relation to a cishet male, Black male dying. When we talk about Breonna Taylor, when we talk about Iyana Dior, who was jumped in Minneapolis, when we talk about Tony McDade, who was murdered by the cops in Tallahassee, Florida, when we talk about um, Selu, who recently her body was found, she was just murdered by a cis black man 
after be after protesting and marching. She was one of the people protesting and marching for Black Lives, and she was sexually assaulted. That she said she said she was sexually assaulted on Twitter. Come to find out, hours after her first sexual assault, she meets this guy, <laughs> and he takes her to his house and ties her up and sexually assaults her and another protester and kills both of them. So. The, what, I, what we're seeing is that our lives matter when it's at the same time as a cishet black male dying. When, when we think about um, Sandra Bland, the only reason why we were talking about Sandra Bland is because it, her timing of her death was in relation to um, Alton Sterling or um, um, somebody else that was going on, some cishet black male that was going on at the time. And so activists, um, black feminists and black activists, black female activists were saying, yo, we need to say her name too. Say her name. We keep saying the men's name. We got to create a hashtag saying say her name because y'all are refusing to talk about the women who are affected by police, police brutality. And so because of the people who are doing the work, we, we as trans people were not going to let um, Tony McDay get killed by police and y'all not say his name when we talk about Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. So in, in the context of, if you pay attention, our stories are only amplified when they are in relation to a cishet Black males dying. And so now what we are seeing, because we're on this Black Lives Matter movement, we do see an uptick in people donating to Black Trans Women's Inc. We do see an uptick in people donating to movements that help Black um, cis women. We do see movements. Look, look at Tony McDay. Um, his GoFundMe got up to over $200,000. And that's all is amazing. But when we did a COVID call out for donating, we didn't get, we didn't get that kind of money. We only are getting funded through the shock and horror of our deaths, of our rape. We, we, um, our rapes and beats and anything that's negative that happens to us. And it could be a scheme, it could be, it could be um, legitimate. Remember the guy who said, the trans guy who lied and said he got um, raped by um, um, a US Marshal just to hustle some money and he got $20,000. <laughs> so, so if you think about it in our context, we have to be raped, beat and murder. We recently did a fund for Iana Dior, who got beat up in um, by by cis and black men in Minneapolis. We did a fund for her. We raised twenty thousand, almost twenty one thousand dollars for her, just to help her get out of the situation that she was in. But what I, my point is, we have to be beat, raped, murdered, or dead in order for somebody to do something. When it comes to our lives and us living and us thriving and doing something positive and really trying to do the work for ourselves and build infrastructure that allows us to dismantle some of these systems, people don't really just step up and help us. People don't do that. People are not doing that um, in, in, in masses unless one of us are dead, unless one of us are beat, unless one of us are raped. We don't get that same kind of care. And it was like that before, and it's like that now. Once again, I have to agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think people genuinely care. Um, I think this is another one of those things that's, you know, hot socially. Um, and we really do get the same support from people who are already within our network, who already donate, who are already in our communities, who's already... Um, inflicted and impacted by whatever mechanisms that we already exist in. Those are the people that continue to support us. Now, like you said, there have been these small nuances of people that have funneled in money and funneled in resources out of, oh my God, there's so much going on and I just want to help my community or I want to be in support of. And while that is good, but what are you going to do outside of that? How long is this support going to last? Is this going to be, while the money is good, right? reparations by any means is is, is, is is necessary but accountability action a change plan genuine allies standing up you know just like black and trans and black women have been in the forefront for the years where is that same genuine support and I totally agree with what you're saying about how you don't really hear people name black women names or the struggle of trans people until there's some other struggle of a black cis heterosexual man. Because when you look at Breonna Taylor, there's little to no conversation around Breonna Taylor who was at home sleep. 
dust. It was dust. It was like she, that what her murder by those cops breaking it with a no warrant, no knock warrant, breaking into her house. It happened a couple of weeks before George Lord, and it was dust until black women said no. Why are we not saying her name? Y'all are going to the streets about George Floyd. Not that you shouldn't, not that you shouldn't care about him, absolutely. But I want to point out that while we are fighting against racism, this patriarchy is allowing you to ignore when anybody other than a cis man is, is murdered by police. She just got, she, y'all can bring up all the negatives about George Floyd, which I think is bogus and racist and bullshit, but... This, this girl was in her house doing nothing. She is, quote, unquote, the perfect victim. It's not a perfect victim. But if you needed one, this is one. Why weren't we talking about this? That's crazy. It's patriarchy. Like, we have to care about the cis male body in order. It's, it's, it's oh, my God. No. <laughs> it's like, we, oh, no, a black male is, is, is being murdered? Anybody else, trans women, gay male, um, anything that's queer, anything that's um, AFAB, um, assigned female at birth, anything in regards to that, it's like, mm, we don't want to talk about them. And also, let's talk about how we got to be really, really smart in how we show up for our people because it, there can be an effect, a more effective way. For example, it feels like our allies have to choose, especially within the um, nonprofit industrial complex. So you are part of a nonprofit. I'm a part of a nonprofit. Do, sometimes it feels like they have to choose between, I know for our organization, they have to choose, are we going to fund help for cishet black women or are we going to fund help for the trans people? Because we can't do all this at the same. So are we going to give our 100 to this organization that helps us at black women? Are we going to give our whole organization to black trans women, uh, our 100K to black trans women's ink? When if you actually do be creative and do the work and bring us together, you will see that there is like a Venn diagram of overlap of things that we both can benefit from that if you donate to for programming that revolves us all, you'll be able to fix problems within all of our community. You don't have to choose. You don't have to choose, oh, well, we already gave to cis women. Oh, we already gave to trans women. You can actually do, you can actually help us build an infrastructure that helps us all and bring us together and close the gap. Yeah. Just by investing in women issues, right? In women issues, yes. It's really that simple, and I don't think many people, when you talk about the nonprofit world, I don't think many people think about that. It's this concept of, oh, you know, this is this big, you know, disparity between um, trans women and, and then, reg- then cis women. Then there's this disparity begins uh, black trans women and then black cis women. And it's like, no, sis. No, it's really, y'all just had the same issue. Y'all still got a man issue. Mm-hmm. Y'all still got issues at the doctor's office. Yeah. You got issues at the employment place. It's literally the same thing. You can be walking in Walmart, y'all both getting hit on by men. Because but both getting followed by security because they think we still in. <laughs> exactly. It's literally the same thing. Like I said, it's just this overlay. But I think people overcomplicate it once you add in the whole word trans. It's like, oh, I don't know how to deal with that. And mm. so like, well, that's not a that ain't got nothing to do with me. Or yeah. everything, everything problem you have has to do with that trans shit. And if you didn't do that trans shit, it, you would be cool. So that cho- you making the choice to do that. So that's on you. It ain't got nothing to do with racism, white supremacy, patriarchy, or nothing. Now my shit does, but your shit is that trans shit, and it ain't got nothing to do with me. <laughs> exactly. I was on a podcast, um, and the guy was like, "Well, I don't think the guys." who jumped on Ayanna Dior, jumped on her because she was trans, because there were cis black women fighting her as well. I said, okay, so cool. So if you remove the trans factor from it, then you're telling me you okay with 30 plus men and some women fighting one singular woman is really what you're telling me that you're okay with. And you are, and you are, you are to me, 
you are the lowest of the low in an intellectual <laughs> integrity if you actually are sitting here wanting me to believe that even though it sparked from a car accident okay yes it may have sparked from a car accident you are not going to have me believe that you didn't think that it accelerated to the level that it did because she was a trans woman you cannot tell me that you believe that because if you do i cannot trust you i cannot entrust your intelligence i cannot entrust that you actually care about trans people because we all know that if that was a a, a cisgender woman those dudes would not everybody would not have give her given her the veracity that they did it would not have got to that level there would have been somebody saying let the females fight you going to say let the females fight the females don't dudes don't just jump in that's not how we do but because she's a trans woman it's allowed for the women to get in and it's allowed for the men to get in so it accelerated to the level that it did because she was a trans woman it may not spark Yes, I totally believe that it sparked because of a, because of a um accident. I believe it. But it accelerated to the level that it did the same way with Malaysia Booker. It accelerated to the level that it did. How many fender like take Malaysia Booker? How many fender bidders do you know turn into a mass group of men fighting one person? How even even in cisgender situations a fender bender turned into 10 people fighting one person? How many times has that happened? It just, that's just not the norm. Soon as you see that this is a trans person, it accelerates to a level that you do not see that is out of the norm. And that acceleration is because she was trans. That's what it is. It's like, it's like if I, I, I'll use the example of um, on the bus again, because um, transportation for trans people can be it's tons we we got studies showing that it's tons of incidents of violence when we're on public transportation when we're on the subways when we're on the bus so if i'm a regular guy and a, and i step on the shoe of a regular guy that regular guy can say damn homie you stepped on my shoe i'm a regular guy i say my bad bro and it might not turn into anything but I could step on a guy's shoe as a, tra a visibly trans person. A per now, when you get into passing and all that, that's a whole different level of privilege. But somebody who does not pass, mm -hmm. and I step on a guy's shoe, and he clocks that I'm trans, because of transphobia, even if I apologize, it could lead to him attacking me. Oh, why are you this close to me, fag? Why you, I know you a man, you not fooling me. Get the fuck away from me. Why you step on my shoe? It turns into violence because of transphobia. It would, he would normally let it go. He would normally be like, oh shit, you stepped on my shoe. Um, and he may be mad at the regular person, but if that person apologize and don't get aggressive, he might be like, oh, okay, it's cool. Damn, watch where you going. But because it's a trans person, and that's just not trans, I'm just using that example. It could be a gay man that's visibly gay with some rainbow shit on. Just because you are this person and I'm a homophobe and you touch me, step on my shoe, just because I visibly see that you are a homosexual, I can flip and it can get worse than what I would do if it was a regular person. That's just what it is. That's how implicit bias and explicit bias works. And I think it's a very interesting nuance that you brought up about the Malaysia book factor and how that um, mirror so much of what Ayana Dior went through. Absolutely. In, in so many ways from it going, from it happening from a car accident, from droves of men getting involved to it being broadcast around like the nation. It, it was literally a mirroring image. And I think one thing that people should know about Texas is like, this is the trans murder capital of the United States. We have had- In the past years. Yeah, in the past years, we have had disproportionate numbers of trans people being murdered here in Texas, particularly trans women of a darker complexion have been... Dark skin trans women, absolutely. Yeah, have been the target, many of them who are extremely young. Um, and it's, and, it's, and that's, I think that's another interesting component that a lot of people don't 
think about how young some of these individuals are that are dying due to anti-trans violence or being murdered, we should say. Absolutely. And when we talk about, a lot of people are trying to debunk the statistic of, um, the, you know, it, it's been said a lot in, in public that the average lifespan of a black trans woman is 35. Like that, that kind of, that kind of thing. And a lot of people are working real hard to debunk it. But that, that, that is not necessarily true. What was actually said when that research was coming out, it wasn't about um, the average life expectancy. It was about the average age of the person dying. The per- when, what, how old were they when they were murdered? The average age of the person who was the victim of the, the death. And when we talk about when we talk about that average age, that was 35. Not everybody's average age of life expectancy. It is when the at the time of their death, well, how old were they? What was the average age? And that was 35. And if you look at the past two years, because as Black Trans Women's Inc., this is the research that we follow. This is what we what we do in our work in keeping track of how what girls are what's happening to the girls. In our work, that number is dropping. In 2019, it was it was 28 years old. If you add everybody up and do the math, it was 28. So it was lower than 35. <laughs> so it, the number, the trend is that at the time of death when they are murdered, it keeps getting lower and lower and lower and lower. And one of the reasons is because of people are transitioning earlier. They're seeing pose. They are seeing diamond styles. They're seeing you. They're seeing these projects of people of different, not just old like me, old school binary ass trans folks, the the non-binary trans folks, you know, who is giving you a new way to be, a new fresh way to think about gender, dismantling the binary. And it, it's, a, it's allowing more people to have the courage, the, the, the extension of social media and, and them being able to see examples. It's allowing people to build community, find community, and be themselves at earlier ages instead of waiting in the closet forever and waiting until you're out of college, waiting until you're married, waiting until you're 65, like Peyton LeJenner. And, you know, it's allowing people to be more visible and more open. So, of course... That visibility has a dark side. The dark side is that there are more people out here and they're more visible, so there's going to be more incidents of violence until the change, the cultural change, till the heart changes happen. And so that's what's happening. We're seeing a younger version because girls are coming out younger than they did before. Right, right. And that's true. And I think as big as cultural changes, I think we also need systematic change too. Mm-hmm. This year we're looking at... Um, an election year, right? And we know that voter suppression um, for TGNC folks is real. Um, and when you look at the people who work the polls, it's it's a, no offense, but it's a lot of older people who are out of touch, who are out of reality, who work the polls. And so um, excuse me, it makes it harder for someone, like you said, who lives um, outside of the binary um, or who doesn't, who who maybe their gender expression or gender identity doesn't match what they have on documentation um, to show up at the polls. Um, And so what are some things that you would tell to people um, as it relates to voting, whether it's how they can stop voter suppression at the polls or maybe why should they should show up to the polls this year? And so not, not just the polls, like even like this, this year is a census year. So the, this year is a census year, and that's, that directly impacts us, specifically as people who need assistance, who need community care in, in forms of assistance from government, in forms of funds, in forms of programming that actually impact us. Census is actually even more important, but y'all don't even care about us enough to put us on the census. So the thing about it is, is that, look, we got to have hope. We have to have um, a certain level of care. We have to have a certain level of ideology, a certain level of being idealistic, a certain level of, of, of optimism, because if we don't, we can just kind of let stuff just kind of ride. We, you have to feel like 
We are working towards a change. We cannot let all the work that um, a Fannie Lou Hamer did. We can't let, because remember, she was, they were offering her in the 2016, 62, I'm sorry, in the 1964 Democratic election, they were only offering her two seats. And she was like, I'm not going back to my people with no two seats at this Democratic convention. This is not enough. I'm not doing that. And so the work that, remember, she was trying to get two seats. We got tons of seats now. Like, because of the work that our ancestors did, you know, we just have a little bit more leeway. So we can't drop the ball and just give up. We got to really get out of here and work within the system to actually change the system. We got to work with the tools that we have. We don't have all the tools at our disposal, but we have to work now in a way, however we can, to disrupt what's going on right now. And so going out and voting, going out here and doing the census in a way that lets you be counted, especially, particularly this podcast is about, you know, sharing the voices of people in the South. In the South, we disproportionately get funding from the government. The West Coast and the East Coast get tons Thousands, millions, buku money. When it comes to us, we don't have the luxury. I was, I was talking to my homegirl who is, who has a nonprofit, a trans nonprofit in, um, in California, and they, both of the the, the community members are bickering over hundred thousand dollar grants and million dollar grants. I'm like, we ain't even big. We don't even get that down here to be bickering over that. Like, I'm like, yo. We we literally in community with each other, girl. We, we, uh, Fifty thousand, eight thousand dollars, five thousand dollars. Can we get a, a grant for five thousand dollars for such and such such and such such? We're we're doing what we can for five thousand dollars. Y'all over there bickering for millions. So when it when it comes to us, we really are at a disadvantage, and we really have to have the hope and the camaraderie within our organizations to be able to. Um, you know, believe that we can change it. Because what are we doing this work for if we don't have the hope? Yes, it's going to be stumble block. It's going to be um, stumbling blocks. It's going to be people that are trying to stop us. It's going to be haters within and without the community that are going to try to um, derail what we are trying to do. But we just cannot give up. We, the, Our ancestors and the people, when we talk about Marsha P. Johnson, when we talk about Bayard Rustin, when we talk about Audre Lorde, when we talk about um, James Baldwin, when we talk about Toni Morrison, when we talk about these people that laid a foundation for us to get shit done in a way that's inclusive, when we talk about recent people like Kimberly Crenshaw, when we talk about people, you know, people love to talk about intersectionality, When we, but uh, the Kambaha the Kabahi River Collective was already talking about it. <laughs> they were already talking about it too. Black feminist theory has always already talked about it. When we talk about Patricia Hill Collins um, talking about the dominate the um, the matrix of domination, we our ancestors and people living Barbara Smith, people living and dead have laid the foundation for us to do the work, and they were doing the work, and so we have to be dedicated to it. Because we see we are not in the same positions of power that we were in the 60s. We are a little bit more advanced. Is it a lot? Are we still dealing with some of the same systems? Absolutely. But me, me and you, look at us. We sitting here. There was a time where this would be illegal. We would be getting hung on trees if we were talking this radical shit. This would be illegal. Do you see what I'm saying? But we're not there anymore. So we got to take the power that they gave us, that they worked hard, and give our babies some more power. And snatch it. It don't matter if it's a little bit or a lot. Wherever we can snatch it, snatch it. And I think, uh, I, so at work, my mom, everybody be like, oh, millennials, they get on my nerve. And I always tell my mom, it's because... When we was growing up, you guys used to always say, I want y'all to have more than what we have and be better than what we was. And we heard what you said, and now we like, okay, we don't want what y'all have. We want better than that. And now that we, we said, don't we don't want the respectability politics. <laughs> we don't want that. And now you like, Ugh, y'all just get on my nerves. We don't like y'all. y'all well, girl, you should have thought about this when I was seven years old and y'all was telling the kids, hey, be better than what we, we was. Don't take what we, this little change that I'm at work making that right now. When you get out here, you don't work for this little bit of change. Now we don't want to work for that little bit of change. We don't yeah. want to go to school 
for five, six years and come out with tons of student loan debt. Yeah, debt and, and them stupid predatory house loans. Credit cards that they allow people to come on campus and pass out like they pop tarts. Yeah. I, I don't want I don't want that. And I'm sorry that it seems entitled or it feels like, you know, make, we're being too aggressive or we're 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 being too ambitious, but you, this is what you guys told us to aim for, and now we're aiming for it. And that's what you aim for, because the generation before you said the same thing about you. Y'all arguing and protesting and fighting and doing all this kind of stuff. Y'all get, y'all angering the good white folks. Why are y'all angering the good rights. white folks? Civil rights, what? We good over here. We good. And you over there shaking shit up. Y'all same generation, the people before y'all said the same thing about y'all. So we ain't trying to hear that. We trying to move it forward so the generation after us, we can talk shit about them, but they'll be in a better situation. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm so glad that you see that. I'm so, because I talk to so many people and they don't understand the concept of that. And it's not a sense of entitlement. It's just like, we want more. We... My mentor, Atlantis, tell me all the time, you should not have to go into a place and do stuff that I did 20 years ago. You should not have to build that system from the bottom up. If I yeah. already did that 20 years ago, you should just need to go in and fix it and make repairs because they should still have what I built 20 years ago. Absolutely. And so... Yep. The foundation should already be there. I love Atlanta. Shout out. <laughs> okay and, and I just and you know and I and I hate that and so I always carry that with me um in my work and so in 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 our work tell us about black trans women Inc. what they do how people can connect mm. so right now we have an anti-violence um task force program where we are connecting with black trans women around Texas and we're trying to create an infrastructure in Texas that we can repeat because we're a national organization but we're here based in Texas we want to create an infrastructure of anti-violence task force that include housing emergency housing for people in um emergency situation, even particularly um, Iana Dior. Because that situation happened, we sent a liaison up there to see what's going on with her, what kind of assistance that she needed. And she was having issues with the cash app donations. And we actually opened up our site to be able to help her get donations without the predatory um, um, institutions like a cash app, um, um, GoFundMe, because they take a percentage. They're only doing this because they take a percentage of the donation that you get. It is a part of their business. It's predatory business. So we wanted to make sure she can get donations without anybody taking a percentage of it. We didn't get any money for it. We want you to be whatever donations you get is going to you directly. No percentage off the top. This is for you. Now, what we program that we have is to get you in a better situation. Do you need to move? Because you're in the neighborhood that these people jumped you. Do you need to move? Do we need to get you a U-Haul? Do we need to get some some homie, to homies to come up there and help you move? You don't want to leave your mama? Do we want to move your mama with you in a better situation? That's because we black trans women and we know we don't want to leave our fucking mama. We know we got, we got special circumstances that we're in. And so how can we help you do what you need to do? And how can we um, get our program help you go where you need to go? So that's what um, we're doing currently. We also are creating a a housing network of, of, of shelters that actually include trans women. I'm a trans woman who was homeless before and I didn't I couldn't go to any shelter from the men to the women to the non to the um LGBT one. I couldn't go to the women cuz I wasn't a cis woman. I couldn't go to the men cuz honey I had titties and I was a liability. I couldn't go to the LGBT one because I wasn't um I was HIV positive and their grant only helped the HIV positive people. And so because I was in this particular situation, I could not get assistance and I had to live on somebody's couch. Luckily, I had some community ass trans bitches that would let me live on their couch that I didn't know. <laughs> and so, which is what we do. Atlantis know she doesn't house a few people. And so in my mind, I, I, I always, I always, I always, I wanted to create, in, in our organization, a network of 
of shelters that around the country that trans women can are actually welcome. They are trained to deal with our particular issues, and we actually have a place to go in a, in a situation where it's an emergency, and it's specific to our needs. We're not talking about, oh, you can just, because every place is not welcoming the trans people just because they say they are. Or, or it, I wanted to create a network where I knew this is a safe place in Austin. This is a safe place in San Antonio. This is a safe place in, in um, um, Houston. This is a safe place in Dallas. There's a house of rebirths in Dallas that, we, that we're working. Love them. They are amazing trans-led or shelter that we can, you know, we can, we can throw them from our funds an extra um, $2,500, extra just to house a girl in an emergency situation. Whatever we need, we want to create a network where we can do for our people when things come up. So a situation like Malaysia Booker, who was helped by a non-translated organization, and then a month later, we know what happened. She was found dead. So I want to be in a situation where... Our name, Black Trans Women's Inc., our mission is about being there for our own community. We have not got to the point where people are funding us in the way that we need. But, you know, just like Black Mamas taught us, you got to work with what you got right now. <laughs> you got you to gotta work with what you got right now, and this is what you got. I remember a time when my mama had $50 for a Christmas, and we had a meal and some cute-ass gifts. <laughs> Maybe not what we wanted, but she made us feel motherfucking special. And so in my situation, I want to make sure what, what, what we're getting now, even though we're not getting funded like I think we should, but what we are getting funded with, with amazing people like Gloria with amazing people like um, the Transgender Justice Project, when we, these people who are helping us, um, even, you know, uh, uh, Gilead and, uh, you know, certain people who do certain things, you know, with, with a little bit that we get, how can I maximize it to be able to say, we have a program to step up and help a trans woman in Maryland, a trans woman in Florida, a trans woman in Minneapolis, a trans woman in a Phoenix, wherever she at that she might come in contact with violence or problems or housing instability. We want to make sure that we can step in and help her. So that's what we're actually doing. We actually have a fund where if you are in Harris Town County and you, um, we just got granted it. Um, if you are in Harris County and you are in jail, like Harris County jail for a misdemeanor charges, hit me up because I'll be able to bail you out. If you are, if you are in Harris County jail and you, you, you know, you ain't got no murder charges, but you might be in there for a couple of months. I can, I, I can put you some, some money on your books. I can take care of a black trans woman in that way or get her out of jail. Cause we just, the reason why I wrote this particular grant is because there was a girl in New York in Rikers who needed $500 to get out of jail and she couldn't make bail. And she's, she was dead, literally dead in that jail. And so because she couldn't make a $500 bail bond and she didn't have the support to help her. And so I don't want in my community I don't want that to happen again. So I wrote a grant to be able so for somebody to help me support people who are in jail and they don't have, because we are different. We, there's some family members that won't step up and help us because we are trans. And so I wanted them to know that we remember you, even if you're in there, in that system locked up, we want to throw you a little bit of change so you can get you a snack, make you feel good while you're up in there. Or if you got a little bitty bond that, you know, we can help get a little, little cash bail, we can help get you out. Because why are you sitting up there with them fucking men getting mistreated if, if all your bond is $200 or $500? Bottles, something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's whack. No. You know, so make sure, you know, I wanted, to, I wanted to say that just so we know that that program is being, we got the funds and we're about to launch it so people know. But, you know, that's what we have. And so that's what we do. We're trying to get bigger and better and, and more efficient in what we're doing. And... I just want people to know that I know that there have been so many people that have failed us in the nonprofit industrial complex, giving us fucking $50 gift cards to do a tons of work and blah, 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 blah. That is not what, how we maneuver here at our organization. And I don't want to be in cahoots with organizations that maneuver like that. And so, yeah, that's what we do. Come on. Okay. So before, before I turn you loose, like the old folks say, <laughs> T tell us about Marsha's play. Oh, so my podcast, 
Uh, it is my baby. It is my baby. Oh my God, it's my baby. So Marsha's Play launched in October 2017. So we're going on our three-year anniversary in October. So we're like two and a half years um, going in. And it has grown so much. We are, we are a podcast that knows that everybody can't be invited to the cookout. <laughs> we are, you know, we are... You know, we were discussing pop culture and news from a black trans feminist lens. We have we are hosted by two black trans women and one black trans man. And we discuss everything. We don't just discuss transness, but we discuss everything from a trans black feminist lens. And so how we think about things and how some uh, somebody else may think about things may be different or it may be the same. But we wanted to make sure that in this time, that our ancestors didn't have. We don't. We didn't have the gatekeepers. Like when we had, when we look at mediums like YouTube and mediums like podcasting, we we it, we can create our platform. We can create a show that we want to hear and discussions that we want to have. And so you know, that's just what we do. And so I, I absolutely love it. I use it in. And, you know, I, I was a YouTuber for 10 years, and I use all my platforms as archival work. I want to I show an archive so that when I am dead and gone, there is a place that people can look and see who was doing work in Houston. I got tons of Houston leaders on my, on my platform. I got New York leaders. I got L.A. leaders. I got um, San Francisco leaders. I got Atlanta leaders. I got so many people in the trans community that I highlight on my show. Because I want to create a place where people say, okay, this is the story behind this. This is the person behind this. So it's not forgotten and it's not erased in the pool of LGB and forget about the T. Because we know how they love to erase what the trans folks do and the work that they do in regards to why we have pride. <laughs> why, you know what I'm saying? And our connection to the Black Lives Matter movement. You don't know that one of the whole, well, you might know, but that one of the one of the women is literally married in a relationship. The one of the queer women is married in a relationship with a trans man. <laughs> so th these movements that in previously we were shut out of, when we talk about Bayard Rustin, who was literally silenced, and he was the architect of these of, of these things. We are no longer in that space. That that respectability policies made that have to be, you know, that we had to put him on the side so we can move forward. But now we know, no, that's not happening no more. We you, the, we are the people doing the work. We are the people out here fighting just along, as particularly as Black people, particularly as queer people, particularly as women, particularly as trans folks, particularly as non-binary folks. I want people to see the archive and plethora of people who are working. And that's what we do at Marsha's Play. Archival work and, like, commentary on pop culture. Yeah. See? So, people, now that when y'all watching Via Queer, when y'all get through watching that, y'all can roll on over and check out. <laughs> it's on every streaming site that you watch your podcast on. So yeah. It's on Spotify. It's on Spotify. If you're on SoundCloud, it's mm -hmm. on SoundCloud. If you're on iTunes, guess what? It's not so. We actually some we own some stuff that other people ain't on. We actually was one of the first people on um, Pandora. <laughs> we was one of the first people on a lot of things. So yeah, so make sure you check us out. <laughs> check them out. So, thank you so much for being here today. As always, I enjoy our dialogue, and I always learn so much from you. So it's mm. always a pleasure of just being around you and just listening. Even even though I'm not around you, it's still such a pleasure <laughs> to be around you and just to learn from you. So just thank you for being here with us today. And thank you for having me. You know, I, I love your spirit. I love your smile. You always give off this energy of um, integrity and happiness and joy and that i just love it you just you know it's since the first time i met you it just always good so i the feeling is definitely mutual and you know when all this covid mess is over we gotta hang out me <laughs> <laughs> after the covid miss day yes <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you everybody for joining us tonight and this was your i think this was our final episode of very queer Oh, oh. 
you have to catch us next season, people. But shout out to everybody. <laughs> yes. Where can they find you? So they can find me on personally Vernus. You can find me at V Fears on IG and Vernus McFarlane on Facebook. But you can also find the Mahogany Project, that's a translator organization here in Houston, Texas, on Facebook, Instagram. Um, TMPHCX on Twitter and MyMahoganyProject.org on the interweb is my name. Yeah. And you can find me at Diamond Styles. It's Diamond, spelled the regular way, D-I-A-M-O-N-D. Styles, spelled S-T-Y-L-Z. And you can find me anywhere on any social media, Twitter, um, um, Instagram, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. So you can find me at any of those places. I am usually shooting the shit and talking all kinds of cash shit. So don't expect me to be respectable. The good little activist lady. I'm going to be cussing and posting all kind of stuff. So be ready. <laughs> okay, <come on>. Enjoy. Enjoy. <laughs> And we're back. Um, wow. Yeah, that that was a really great interview. Um, yeah. I think now is really important. I mean, I, I really hate the, the phrase now more than ever, but I really feel like it's especially important now more than ever that we need to be having these conversations about the Black Lives Matter movement and what that looks like and that um, we can't, like, leave black trans women uh the question when it comes to liberation right um mm -hmm. yeah. and i i just think that they get thrown under the bus so often and they get overlooked quickly um mm -hmm. but yeah like how are how are y'all feeling from all this <sighs> i've been feeling pretty i don't know i'm pretty drained I feel yeah. like every other day or every week I'm hearing about something that either has happened recently or something that has happened like a while back, but it still yeah. doesn't make it hurt any less. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I see my family reflected in these people and I see my little yeah. cousins and my brothers and I see, you know, my sisters and my other cousins when I hear about another African-American person being a black person being killed not african-american totally black um i don't like using the word african-american anymore i prefer black and i guess i can explain that in another episode or soon or whatever oh, mm -hmm. but, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. totally. it's it's painful it it hurts and i just i kind of want it all to stop and i don't know what to do to make that happen at this point because i'm just like yeah <sighs> there's only so much that you can do there's only you know I don't know. I get why people are burning shit down because it is infuriating and there are a lot of things that need to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I'm at with it. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, we're here for you and Deepa if you ever need anything. <laughs> I know it's tough, you know, being a queer black woman. Um, shit's, shit's real. Um, yeah. Um, and I, I just think, sorry. No, 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 go on, Mike. Go on. And, you know, like, since the pandemic is, like, happening, everyone's kind yeah. of all the same boat, you know? But then, like, like we, we obviously know where the government is going with the pandemic, right? Like, before mm -hmm. any of this, the shootings or, or, I guess, like, one of the bigger shootings that has happened this year during the pandemic. Um, it, it just signi signifies, like, the government doesn't care about black people or even brown people. Like, you know, when it comes to even the pandemic, like it just shows like the areas that it's not being uplifted when it comes to hospitals. And then on top of that, you have policing in these neighborhoods, like intensive policing right. for what, you know? And so like, when we think about all these issues, it's fucking tough. Like, cause it's like, we're living in these neighborhoods, like, you know, mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know, like, and being in Brooklyn, like Diamond, you know, said something about money being put in the East Coast and like West Coast, and I'm living here now. And so like, I, yeah, I 
people are paying up up out here. Like um, I went to the Black Liberation Movement party or um, protest um, at the Brooklyn Museum the other like two weeks ago where there was just like a shit ton of people with wearing white. I think y'all probably seen stuff like that. And I saw um, Raquel Willis and I got to hear her speak and I was definitely enlightened. It's been tough because like stuff has been coming out, especially with one of the trans women that's been in Rikers. She died last year, but like more information has been coming out. Um, a lot of people didn't know she was in there and she had a five thousand a $500 bill and wow yeah wow $500 I was like that's it yeah right Uh, and so I was just like how you know like how come no one was there and like how come you know she didn't have anyone and it's not that she didn't have anyone it's that you know like no one knew she was in there like how the fuck did you know like Mm -hmm. how was she not allowed to make a call how was she you know like just all these questions you ask and it's like, it seems unfair, you know, it's ridiculous. Like those things shouldn't happen, but I'm glad we had the conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. Shit's tough. I don't know. I think just being here for each other and paying, paying people, paying Southern organizations, like giving money out there. Cause you know, I just think, that there isn't a lot of media in the South, um, which Mm -hmm. is why there isn't a lot of money being put into organizations there that are actively working with trans people, especially trans black women. And so, you know, that's a big discrepancy there. I mean, there's Atlanta that has like movie scenes and I know they're getting uplifted. Um, But then you have like Austin and Houston um, Dallas, those are big, you know, uh, pools of trans black women and trans black people that are out there and there's nothing being allocated out there, you know? So it's like, what are we supposed to do? Yeah, I know. Um, I can't imagine the kind of pain that the black community is feeling right now. Um, especially the black trans community, right? But as a whole, I just can't imagine how that is right now because, you know, um, like, I know that I'm not white, but at the end of the day, though, like, a cop is more likely to pull over and kill a black person over me, right? Like, let's just be honest. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, this isn't new information that black people are being out there being killed right um and and i get that you know so many of my own black friends are exhausted they're mentally spent and um you know some of the advice they've given me is that like if you're not close with that person like don't reach out to them um instead like Mm -hmm. give them money um or donate to like a bail fund which is what i've tried to do like because i know like a lot of southern organizations are not getting a lot of um funds and donations because they're just not as well known i think but you know donating to a bail fund is like one of the little ways you can like directly impact somebody you know um and so I think one thing that people can do is do something like that, like donate, like donate to these smaller grassroots organizations or to like local bail funds because like they really need it right now, you know? Um, but yeah, like everything that's just going on with the pandemic and then the shit like hitting the fan per usual, it's just like, it's too much. Like it's a lot, but you know what? Like I'm not allowed to be tired about it though. Uh, like we can't like, like, like we can't, stop having these conversations we can't stop mobilizing and we can't stop being activated and holding people accountable you know um yeah like like that's the kind of privilege that i have that's like oh well i can choose to not want to listen to the news or whatever because it doesn't directly affect me but like at the end of the day like i have to use my privilege as an advantage because like i just said earlier like i'm not allowed to be tired of this like if anything like um 
you know, I have to be a better ally to the black community more than anything else, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, whether that means going out there and protesting, which by the way, I want to mention that like the uptakes in COVID were not because of protests. Yeah. Um, but you know, whether that's protesting or donating, like those are still really great ways to keep the momentum going because mm-hmm. it's, it's exhausting now and it's tiring, but I genuinely believe that if we just keep going, um, and then also take time to like rest when you can, then like, meaningful change will happen but it just will take a lot of work on our end and we can't expect Mm -hmm. our black friends and loved ones to keep carrying this this grief this um this 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 load you know yeah no yeah yeah totally i agree and like if you can't go out to protest or even donate um if you're able body um and willing to learn there are organizations putting on like um medical clinics um mm-hmm. you can be a neighbor for someone who is going through the jail system currently being a protester um they're gonna need future future um what is it future help because mm-hmm. the jail system will last a while um yeah yeah, and that process is already daunting already. So if you know how to navigate your local law source or law enforcement or, I don't know, your National Lawyers Guild, you can look them up. There's probably organizations within, you know, where you are. Um, oh. Look into that and you're, you can be able to assist if you, yeah. you know, have some kind of knowledge when it comes to that and there's there's many of ways you can help um if you're a designer yeah. you can design for organizations that are doing things um i know there's a lot of talk with like abolition um and i think before we even can get to that we have to talk about you know accountability which you mentioned and yeah we need to be accountable yeah. in communities if we can't even mm-hmm. you know yeah 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 um the other thing too is that there's a lot of um like independent bookstores or editors publishers what have you who are releasing like free books on you know this kind of thing whether if it's prison abolition whether if it's police abolition or like you know anything radical that you're interested in to really be a better ally to the black community. Like I'm seeing a lot of free information being released um, because I I know this is going to sound cheesy, but knowledge is power. Um, But also too, like that comes with privilege of being able to have access to like a computer or what have you. Right. Um, But I mean, like, Hey, like if you have a friend that doesn't have access to these kinds of resources, like print some pages of a PDF for them and give it to them. You know what I mean? Like there are ways to make this work. Like, like there are ways that you can participate in this. Um, It just might mean we have to get a little creative, but you know, that can't stop us from progressing and doing better. Yeah. And listening. And listening. (laughs) Yeah. Um, especially in the Asian community, uh, it's riddled with anti-blackness. Like, oh, same thing with the Latinx community, a hundred percent. God, so, I'm trying. We're trying. Yeah, <clears throat> we're doing our best. And um, and Disha, we're here for you. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate. Yeah, that. of course. Um, well, not to leave on a somber note. But, um, you know, if y'all have any questions or, you know, are looking for guidance or need resources, feel free to reach out to Spectrum Self or reach out to us. Um, you know, we love to try to get our community involved and, like, get them connected to resources um, because we need to be a lot more active with this kind with with, with this movement. Right. Um But yeah, so take care of yourselves out there. Stay safe. Wash your fucking hands. 
please wear a fucking mask. Please wear a mask, especially because uh, Texas is experiencing an uptick right now, so I'm extra paranoid. Um, but, you know, we're all doing the best we can, and we're all going to get out of this together. Um, and with and don't forget to that if you haven't yet please follow us on facebook which is a veer queer podcast and our twitter which is veer underscore queer htx um and also you can find all of our latest episodes on spectrum south website uh but also you'll find us on spotify itunes stitcher or wherever you stream your podcasts um but yeah i am julian and i'm my and I'm in Yeah, and uh, well, we will see you next time. Bye, y'all. Veer Queer is a Spectrum South podcast hosted by Julian Gomez, Mai Ha, and Andesia Haynes with interviews by Kevin Anderson, Vernis McFarlane, DeAndre Moore, and Melanie Tormina Payne. Series produced and edited by Danny Benoit. Episodes are released bi-weekly. Be sure to subscribe to Veer Queer on iTunes and Spotify. Episodes are also available at SpectrumSouth.com. Visit SpectrumSouth.com to learn more.